Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. He's just published a new book, a new true crime book, fascinating book about a series of crimes that took place in South Florida back in the 70s and then leading up to uh, the current date, some suspected people. Title of the book is The Flat Tire Murders, Unsolved Crimes of a Flo South Florida Serial Killer, just published September 30th, 2021. And the author's name is Michael P. Burns, B-U-R-N-S. So he's coming to us from San Jose. This is his first book. He just got the hardcover of it now. So congratulations to you, Mike, and uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, William. I've been a big fan of yours for a couple of years now, and it's an honor to be here. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Thanks for agreeing to the interview. For people who may not have heard of your background, can you talk about what led you to look into this series of deaths that took place in South Florida? Sure. Uh, I'm a third generation uh, Miamian on my mom's side. So uh, my family has roots in, in South Florida going back to the to the 19 teens, basically. Uh, so I grew up there and um, I left when I was 22 to come out to California for uh, school. And uh, really what happened was um, a major event in 2018 occurred um, when Joseph D'Angelo was uh, captured, uh, arrested as the um, Golden State Killer. And what really uh, interested me was that there was a, the fact that crimes from the 1970s could still be solved today. And it was just, my jaw hit the floor when, when uh, I heard that he was arrested. So that led me to look into um, some unsolved crimes in, in South Florida in the 1970s. Um, and it really, there was not a lot out there. Um, there's, there's just a few, few instances of its, uh, these cases appearing on the internet, and really, um, they'd been forgotten. So, uh, when I looked into this, uh, into these cases, I was determined that these cases would not be forgotten, and that just like uh, what happened with uh, the Golden State Killer, um, that justice could could finally be done, uh, albeit belatedly, uh, to these victims. Yeah, and I mean, it's remarkable how many. It was like a slaughterhouse during the '70s, and all of these young women were disappearing during this time of hitchhiking and things like that. Can you talk about the environment of Miami and South Florida at that time and uh, what led to a lot of these women's deaths? Sure. There is a, um, it's discussed in the book. I give, uh, give some time to it in the book that there was basically a crime explosion in South Florida in the 1970s. Um, crime throughout the nation during that time was, was increasing as well. It eventually, you know, led to a crackdown in the 1980s. But um, in 1975, uh, Dade County and Broward County were uh, fourth and sixth, respectively, in terms of crimes per capita in the United States. Um, it was a it was a really wild time. One of the sheriffs down there said that it was like an invaded invading army had invaded South Florida and, and took over. And just the, the mayhem and the carnage that, that uh, occurred was sort of um, you know, reflected in the United States, but particularly, I wasn't aware that that there was so much crime in South Florida in the 1970s. So that really came as a uh, awakening for me. Right. So it wasn't just these murders; it was just the backdrop of a criminal explosion. Can you talk? You talk about like the canals and the layout, the topography of South Florida at that time. Can you can you lay that background for the listener about? The canals and uh, the uh, the swamp and all that stuff and how it related to these crimes. Sure, in, in the book I have a quote from 
from a, a detective, I believe, and he said that basically anything that anyone wants to get rid of, they put in a canal. Um, when they've dredged the canals down there, they've found airplane parts, uh, explosives, bodies, cars, you name it. So it's a, it's a dumping ground for people that want to get rid of things. Um, South Florida itself has about 2,600 miles of canals, waterways, levees, things that, um, that basically drain South Florida uh, out to the uh, Atlantic Ocean. So it's crisscrossed with, with canals. I remember growing up there, um, there was a canal every, every you know, three quarters of a mile. Uh, a lot of fun for fishing, but it, it, it's just a, a community and it's a location that uh, is floating on canals, to quote one of the uh, one of the individuals in my book. Right. And you talk about the hurricanes and how they had to build this canal system to prevent flooding and proper, you know, just because it rains there so often. So that was really a part of it. And then there's the Everglades. Can you talk about the topography of kind of the western part of South Florida? Sure. Um Western uh, Dade County basically butts up against uh, Chrome Avenue, and then the Everglades begins about a mile after. It's a federal um, federal national park. It's protected. There's no development out there, and uh, Alligator Alley, the the road that is primarily used to cross from uh, uh, Southwest Florida to uh, the East Coast, is a lonely, very desolate stretch of land. Um, you'll pass a couple of uh, Miccosukee Indian reservations and, and other little outposts, but it is a, it is a swamp and it is, um, it is vast. Um, it's full of, uh, full of wildlife, including alligators, uh, you know, anything you can think of that, that would live out there. And um, it, it basically abuts the uh, Western developments in, in Dade and Broward County. So once you get past the suburbs, it's kind of clear sailing out to, out to this beautiful area, but, but very, very desolate. Desolate, right. So can you talk about kind of uh, this crime explosion, but also these assaults that were just endemic and people noticed a pattern. Can you talk about some of the victims and some of the uh, murders that started taking place there in the mid-70s? Sure. Um, pre preceding the, the, the murders that are the primary subject of the book, there was a, there was a, um, an incident uh, where police began to notice in the 1960s up to the up to the early 70s, uh, 10 or 11 victims of what they called the Miami Strangler. Um, women uh, tending to be from age 20 up to age 84 uh, were found strangled, smothered, uh, and then they, all of a sudden they stopped. Um, after that, in Broward County, uh, six victims of what was known as the Gold Sock Strangler, um, victims that were found with socks wrapped around their necks, uh, murdered. And then in 1975, uh, a series of murders began. It lasted throughout the year uh, that became known as the Canal Murders. But two of these murders in particular um, is kind of where the, the book's title comes from. Uh, uh, two young women were, were murdered after their car's uh, tires were found deflated at a, at a mall in, uh, in northern Dade County. Right. It was always that same mall. What was it? The 183 mall or something like Once that? Yeah, 163rd Street, 163rd Street Mall. Yeah. And recently I had an opportunity a couple of weeks ago to go back to South Florida. And I went back to the very various locations that were there, um, the, the canals, US 27 and the 163rd Street Mall. And yes, it, it's an empty parking lot. Um, it looks 
pretty similar to what it looked like back then. Um, and it's a, uh, it's a suburban shopping mall. So it's this huge shopping mall. There's no, uh, you know, CCTV. What, what did they think? So there was this series of women. Can you talk about the MO of who they think was committing these flat tire murders? Sure. They, they suspected, and this was a bit of a dispute between some of the, the law enforcement agencies as to whether this was one person or several unrelated cases, but the, the patterns and the frequency certainly led them to believe that there, there was probably one person who did at least a number of these crimes. They figured he was um, sort of put together a profile that he was a, uh, you know, a good looking man, cl uh, clean, approachable, um, very friendly and uh, basically could talk these women into, into coming with them. Right. So is he, they're thinking that they've had to have a, some type of perpetrator who made the woman feel comfortable to do all of these murders, right? So it wasn't like some kind of a rush job of just coldly abducting somebody. So it was almost kind of like uh, the Bundy, who, who pops up in this book, oh, yeah. kind of like the Bundy approach, right? Absolutely, especially the two uh, the two victims, Ronnie Gorlin and Elise Rapp, uh, whose whose cars were disabled, um, and it's strongly suspected that they they were approached by someone who likely flattened the tires um, and offered them assistance. They went with them, and their their bodies were found in canals uh, the next day. And what uh, what was the condition of these bodies that made people think they were part of the pattern? Uh, most of the most of the uh, victims were found fairly quickly. Um, uh, uh, the two flat tire murders uh, victims were were found the next day. Um, the The victims were all found either near canals or in canals, with with one or two exceptions. But basically, the the canals were used as a as a dumping ground, especially US twenty seven. That that road comes up quite frequently during. Um, during these uh, murders. It's a very lonely stretch of road in, in Northwest uh, Dade County and Broward County. And there's a canal that, that runs parallel to it. And many of the victims were found in those canals, some within one or two miles of each other. Right, so, so somebody's abducting them and dumping them right away. And how would these deaths affect the kind of community and the families of the victims? Well, families were, were devastated. Um, you know, there, there was uh, uh, one man uh, whose whose daughter, it was uh, Barbara Stevens, um, was just uh, could not believe what, what was happening. And he actually said that I, I moved away from downtown Miami to get out sort of to the suburbs to get away from the crime. And and this happened. Um, there were rewards that were offered and the uh, the media uh, really focused in on these cases and, and, you know, noted that there was a pattern of women disappearing and, and law enforcement was telling women uh, you know, check your car, check your tires before you get in them. Uh, don't hitchhike. Uh, and they really tried to tried to warn women that, that you know, there was somebody out there uh, that was uh, abducting them. Right. So there is like a tie in with the flat tire. But then there's some of the victims were they believe were abducted during hitchhiking. Correct. Correct. And, and that was a, a subject I explored in the book as well, that in the 1970s, uh, hitchhiking was just a, a way of life for many people. And what was interesting was also that the uh, that law enforcement knew that this was, uh, you know, a potential for for uh, criminals to to abduct women. Um, they tried to warn them: look, do not do this, do not hitchhike. 
And many of the, the young kids, talking 14, 16 years old, felt that, you know, I, I can handle this. This is a good way to get around. And it was sort of a sort of a way of life for, for a lot of people back then. I mean, today, the thought of, of you know, young girls just sort of sticking their thumb out and, and getting in a car, we're all aware of the, of the dangers of that. But back then, that was, um, that was just accepted as a, as a way of life. And what was the age range of these victims? I mean, you have the two things. You have the Miami Strangler and the Gold Sock Strangler. So you have these stranglers taking place. What are the danger ages of these victims? Uh, the Miami Strangler, uh, the, the victims were from the ages of, of – 21 up to 84, gotcha. uh, a wide range of, of ages. Those attacks were mostly uh, indoors um, where women were, were um, found strangled in their bedroom, in their living room. Uh, the gold sock strangler, the victims were from the ages of, of um, about 17 or 16 up to 42. Uh, so, so not a real consistent age range, but in the flat tire murders, and what really shocked me, uh, Two of the victims were 14. Uh, actually, three of them were 14. One was 15. A lot of them were 17, 19. These were these were very young women. Right. So super young. So you have the Miami Strangler, the Gold Sox Strangler, Canal Murders, and the Flat Tile Murders. All these, just this slaughterhouse of, and all you kind of women, some were living at home. Mm -hmm. uh, all of kind of, they all fit a similar kind of uh, physical profile, right? Correct. They were... They were all uh, young white women. They were very, very attractive girls. Um, uh, like, like you said, living at home, um, really did not have any outstanding uh, issues, you know, like uh, like drug abuse or or prostitution or anything like that. These were use, typical suburban young women. Right. So somebody was targeting. I think I remember in your book, at least the flat tire murders. The police believed that. They were followed, so they were followed to um, the shopping mall or somewhere where they abducted. Like somebody targeted them specifically, right? Correct, and and, and they felt that these were definitely planned murders, not uh, not sort of crimes of opportunity, but but um, pl planned abductions, certainly. Like somebody is stalking, like somebody's out there stalking, and. Um, how did it affect the police officers? There was a lot of police officers at that time trying to come to find suspects, which, you know, never materialized. Can you talk about the search for the killer or killers? Sure. I, I was, you know, lucky enough to talk with a couple of the uh, Dade County detectives uh, who investigated the uh, the flat tire murders, uh, the two cases that, that involved uh, that modus operandi. And, uh, to this day, you know, they, they told me we worked our butts off. We were conducting surveillance. We were investigating every known uh, sex offender that, that uh, you know, we could pull up. Um, we spent, you know, hundreds and hundreds of man hours uh, trying to find uh, trying to find the killer. And it really did not result in, in anybody, even any suspects. Right. So somebody got away with it. I mean, and right. it's pretty inc incredible that there was such a slaughter and all these women they were not dumped close to home, most of them, right? Correct. A lot of them were, were dumped uh, on US-27, uh, the canal that runs parallel to that road. And I just went back to, to South Florida a couple weeks ago, and I, I had the opportunity to drive on that road for the first time. And boy, it is it is in the middle of nowhere. Uh, if you're in agriculture or, um, you know, 
that's the only reason you'd really be pulling off of that road. It's really a road just to get from Central Florida down to South Florida, and uh, they were they were found there, you know, uh, miles and miles from home. A lot of them were found out in Western Dade County, Western Broward County, far away from their home. So they they were clearly clearly dumped there. Yeah, taken and dumped. Taken and, and dumped. didn't the police have profiles of their potential? a uh, uh, suspect i mean they put together a psychological profile of at least one right right there there were psychological profiles um and some of them sort of reflect the the attitude of of the 1970s that the the guy could possibly be schizophrenic he could have some sort of of mental disorder and i think looking back 45 years later um we, we might have a more nuanced view of of somebody who would commit these crimes they're they're really planned cautious, um, careful about what they're doing. So um, they, they thought maybe there was a, a mental illness uh, preceding this. Uh, they thought maybe it was a uh, sort of a, a homosexual that was uh, repressed. And some of these really, like I said, reflect reflect that era, but they really didn't have any composite sketches. Um, they were kind of flailing about to, to find anyone who would, who would witness these crimes. Right. They thought maybe, I think I read like in your book, one of the psycholo psychologists said it might be somebody who hated their mom and was taking out the mom anger on these kids. Right. And, and uh, from my perspective, that's, that's interesting. And, and it might, it might be, uh, you know, applicable to what, what the person was going through, but uh, mentally, but it really wasn't the hard evidence that, that would lead right. to a arrest. And what hard evidence did they have of any of these killers? They didn't have, they had, I think, yeah, I don't remember anything in reading your book that they really had any physical evidence at that time. DNA was just, it wasn't really, uh, it wasn't really applicable in criminal procedure, right? Correct. And, and back in those days, it was blood typing, um, sort of the same stuff you, you saw with the Golden State Killer, where they, they had his blood type and, and that was about it. Um what was interesting was when I received the, the medical examiner's reports for the two flat tire murders, um, there were bite marks on Ronnie Gorlin uh, around her breasts and Elise Rapp's uh, genitals were, were mutilated. So um, there were definitely signatures at least. And in the medical examiner reports, there, there was evidence, at least from my interpretation of it, that they, they did collect either semen or some other bodily fluid that, 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 could be related to the to the perpetrator. And have those been analyzed or kind of those rape kits or the murder kits been analyzed anywhere up to the present day? You know, we really don't know. I've I've um, reached out to to Dade County to try to get some uh, updates on where they stand and to get the uh, police files. But due to the uh, due to the covid epidemic last year, things are really at a at a standstill. So getting a response has been kind of um, kind of difficult. But I would presume and I, I would hope that those those samples are still preserved so you think those are still preserved all the way from 45 30 45 years ago hopefully um well, yeah the, no. the golden state killers uh, dna that's what led to his his arrest so anything's possible i think right and what other similarities are there between these series of uh strangle strangulations and the golden state killer uh, well d'angelo yeah, I think, and this is one angle that I kind of touched on, on in the book, is that uh, Joseph D'Angelo was a police officer. He knew um, what jurisdictions he was he was in, what um, physical evidence would be uh, 
important and so that he didn't leave it behind. Um, I, I have a suspicion that there, there may be uh, some other connections uh, between perhaps someone who, who was in a position of authority uh, to get these girls to come with them. Um, I think definitely there, there are some similarities between uh, D'Angelo and, and the, and the uh, flat tire murders. Uh, but he was more of a uh, sort of a blitz attack, um, very premeditated, um, tying up women in their houses. Um, this is sort of a the South Florida murders are sort of an outdoor um, outdoor event where where there's really not a home invasion aspect to it. Right, right. But there is like that. There were hints that this person was using. Uh, authority of law to kind of, kind of like Bundy did where he would tell mm -hmm. the people that he was an undercover cop or something like that. So there might be similarities, right? Right. And, and it really struck me that um, in Bundy's case, the uh, the event that led to his arrest was when he flashed a, a badge at Carol Durant at a mall in uh, Utah and said, your car has been broken into. I'm an officer. I need you to come with me. We're going to make a report. And lo and behold, she she responded and came with him. She finally asked at one point, you know, can I see a badge? And he flashed a fake badge at her. So he was prepared. And I think that reflects, again, some of the, the innocence of the time where if someone's in a position of authority, you you follow them. You do what they say. Right. So something yeah, strange like that could have been happening. And you talk about the potential. You say a couple of those uh, detectives are truly convinced that Bundy was involved in at least some of those murders in South Florida, correct? Correct. I, I spoke with two two detectives um, who investigated the, the flat tire murders, um, and they, you know, my jaw hit the floor when they said, "We, I remain convinced to this day that that Ted Bundy did this." Um, you know, my my attitude was, I'm going to take them seriously. They, they're the detectives that investigated these cases. I have no reason to doubt them. Um, they said that the modus operandi for the for the Ronnie Gorlin and Elise Rapp flat tire murders uh, fit Bundy's. They said it fit him to a T. Uh, one of the detectives uh, did go to speak with Ted Bundy when he was on trial in Miami. In what year was that? Sorry to interrupt. What year was sure. he finally arrested? He was arrested in 78 in North Florida. So it was Florida. right around that time. Yeah, that's right. Yes, he was arrested in 78. He was um, charged with the Chi uh, Omega killings and the, the murder of, of uh, a 12-year-old girl. The trial was moved down to South Florida, down to Miami in 1979, and he was convicted uh, down here on a, on a change of venue, of course. And one of the detectives uh, went to the Dade County Jail, spoke with Ted Bundy about the uh, Ronnie Gorlin and Elise Rat murders, and and I discussed that in the book, sort of Bundy's reaction and the and the detective's reaction. Um, Bundy kind of clammed up afterwards, and and nothing further came, at least from his mouth, uh, regarding his possible involvement. Right, and I think that that was one of his kind of negotiating tactics: is if you don't kill me, I'll tell you all of the other murders that I've done. I think I remember that right at the end. So he seemed to know that he was. I mean, he was a multi-jurisdictional killer, ended up in Florida right around the time of a lot of these things went down in South Florida and fit the profile, right? Good looking guy, mm -hmm. you know, had a, had a glib way with women, I guess. Um, 
And but also, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, what's interesting, and some people won't know, is that that wasn't Bundy's first time to Miami. He went there in 1968 as a delegate for Nelson Rockefeller when the uh, Republican convention was held in uh, Miami Beach. So a 22-year-old Ted Bundy uh, had been to Miami um, back in the 60s. So he knew that thing. But also the contradiction is, I mean, that the real Bundy biographer, somebody who knows Bundy very, very well, is uh, Sullivan, right? right? He said that he was known to be in in Utah all that summer of at least when some two of those murders occurred, right? Correct. And and again, like with the detectives, when, when an expert tells me something, I, I take them at their word and I, I put a lot of, um, you know, uh, uh, credibility on that. But what I noticed about uh, Bundy was that um, between June 30th of 1975 and his arrest date on August 16th, 1975, there were no murders, um, you know, none that he confessed to and none that, that potentially tied him uh, to anything. So there's sort of a there's sort of a gap. Obviously, he was in Utah. That's not disputed. Um, but as you noted, he, he was multi-jurisdictional from Idaho to Colorado. He killed in Florida in 1978 uh, when he was on the run. Right. But um, but I, I kind of think even though, uh, you know, he's, he's accounted for in Utah, I, I don't put anything past uh, someone like that. Right. I mean, he was constantly moving. I mean, he was very clever. Um, and so the police never found anybody, but there were other kind of people, some people that you mentioned kind of at the in chapter six who were police officers who kind of could have possibly been involved in these types of murders, correct? That's right. One of the suspects uh, that, that really got my attention, and again, with the uh, connection to, to the Golden State Killer, was uh, a, a police officer named Mark Holliday, who was about uh, 34 years old at the time of the murders. He was a high, highly a police officer. Um, he was originally uh, suspected and accused of an, uh, uh, assaulting a minor sexually in 1973. Um, 1976, he was fired from the police force. And in 1978, he kidnapped and raped a 15-year-old. Um, he was eventually arrested again in California for molesting uh, two two children that were four and five years old. So he had um, he had a career with the with the police in Hialeah, but he was clearly a, a very disturbed and and uh, sick individual. Right, but I mean, so was D'Angelo, right? So D'Angelo had this cover of being a cop, but just one of the craziest killers and uh renegades ever so to somebody else is probably like that who might may never have gotten caught and you talk about some other people who um could be involved who killed women i think one was this little this is a recent case was uh little and he claimed to be another multi-jurisdictional killer can you talk about him and his potential as a suspect for some of these rapes and murders sure he he uh, samuel little um in his uh, mid seventies, a couple years ago, began uh, confessing to I think ultimately ninety three murders throughout the United States, and they they asked him where did you kill the most, and he said Miami and Los Angeles. Um, he was in he was in Dade County in the nineteen uh, sixties and seventies. Um, however, most of his victims, and this is discussed in the book, the, the ones he admitted to were. They weren't white. They tended to be black as well. A lot of them had drug problems, were prostitutes, um, kind of the the easy prey that that uh, you know some killers go for. Um, 
so, but he's certainly, if, if those confessions are correct and, and he was there during that time, he definitely needs to be looked at. Right. So, but he didn't come from that pool. Like all of these women seemed like very middle-class, no prostitutes, no, or maybe like a stripper where well, there was one stripper, I think, right. or somebody involved, but they were all kind of in a vulnerable state, but they weren't like drug addicts or, you know, people who were prostitutes or things like that. So some of these cases don't fit. Whereas Bundy, those were the people that he went after were not like the, what is it? The green river killer. Those were all prostitutes or people in that environment. Right. So he had a specific kind of class he went after. Right. These ones seem different. Do you agree with that? I I absolutely agree. Um, These, these girls in South Florida were typical suburban teenage girls um you know with with the exception of a few who were a bit older but some of these these 14 and and 15 year old victims were just you know uh, middle school and high school students um they did not have uh you know significant issues that would warrant uh classifying them as as high risk victims um somebody like bundy was a you know a college campus prowler and and loved that environment i think somebody you know had the same same attitude here where this was their their type of victim. And wasn't there a speculation that maybe two people could be involved in some of these deaths? Yeah, there, there's there's been a number of, of theories that that they're either not connected, they're all connected. One of the murders, and the only one that was actually solved, was was the murder of uh, Judith Osterling, who was only 19 years old. She was working at a a massage parlor, which uh, in the 1970s was often used as a, a front for prostitution. And um, she was murdered by a man and his girlfriend uh, after she refused their sexual advances. And, and the man was eventually shot and killed. And about five months later, the, the girlfriend confessed to the murder. Right. So there was a couple there. And um, it just reminds me of like the one there was all these freeway murders that took place in Los Angeles. We talked in the pre-show that took place, I think, in the 70s. The toy box ones or one, these two guys just really ruthlessly going and picking up girls hitchhiking and things like that and raping and murdering them um and a lot of these were these strangulations or the flat tire murders there was a sexual component correct when they found some of them yes and and i think you know determining whether whether there was sexual assault i think a lot of them uh, had the signs of that but something i also wanted to mention was water destroys forensic evidence and and dumping the bodies in the canals um, depending on how long they're there, a, a lot of this stuff, especially back in 1975, may may have been overlooked. But there was certainly a sexual uh, uh, component to the flat tire murders, uh, bite marks, uh, nipples being bitten, and and genitals being mutilated. It, it absolutely had a sexual component to it. Right. I mean, and it's. Did they think? I mean, did they think that the Miami Strangle, the Gold Sack Strangle? Strangler, canal murders, and flat time murders. Do they think there's a possibility those overlapped, or are those all separate? They think separate perps. You, you know, they they think that there may be connections, but there's simply there's simply not enough based on on the the time frame that we're talking about uh, with forensic evidence to to determine that they're all linked. They all are sort of clusters, I would say, of of particular uh, modes of of killing people with with strangulation with socks and then and then in canals um you know throughout certain locations so uh, they, they certainly could be some of them uh i think definitely have overlap um but law enforcement's been kind of kind of quiet on on linking the whole uh 
series of events together. You're saying law enforcement is trying to link them all together? No, they, they've no, been they've been they've been really silent on whether there, there's a, a connection between these three groups of murders. But I think definitely during the flat tire murders, uh, I think the medical examiner said, I, I believe firmly that at least five were committed were committed by the same person. Wow. And what's the status of the investigation in Miami-Dade to this day? I mean, what do you know if there's a cold case working on it or anything? The, you know, they have a cold case de department. Um, that uh, that does investigate. And I do talk in the book about uh, some of the cases that they've solved recently. I think one was from 1975. Uh, they connected James Rose, uh, who was already on death row with the murder of a woman through DNA. Um, there was another case that was recently solved, I think from 1977, where, where a hair was left and they managed to get a genetic profile. So th they're, they're definitely working on this. Um, in terms of the the actual police files, those those have been a little bit more difficult to to access. Again, going back to the to the COVID issue, but I really wanted to get this book out simply because, you know, people are are getting older. This these these detectives I spoke to are in their late 80s. The parents of most of these victims are are deceased already, so people are are dying, um, you know, just due to the fact it was 45 years ago. And, and before it's too late, the story needs to be told. And I think your parallels with the Golden State uh, situation are very apt because there were a lot of people compiling the cases, studying the cases. I did an interview with a guy about the Golden State uh, murderer, and nobody thought that that could be ever solved. And then it was finally solved through, uh, what is it, mitochondrial DNA or familial DNA or something like that. So... Right. right, and 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 they they created a, a family tree of this uh, this perpetrator, and eventually started putting two and two together with uh, what family members could have been in this location, and eventually nailed uh, you know zeroed in on on Joseph uh, D'Angelo, and I think uh, certainly that's that's something that that's a possibility here, and I I, I would love to see it done. Right, that would be a, a fantastic. And didn't uh, D'Angelo eventually? Uh, admit or confess to all the crimes i don't know if he did to all of them or did he he did i think i think during the the COVID epidemic there was a, a delay in his uh legal proceedings but eventually he took a, a plea deal where he did confess and, and is in uh, sentenced to life in prison and what else do you what else can you tell the reader when they go get your book what else is in there i mean you talk about more suspects and you par parallel some of these cases together correct Right. I, I think, you know, anyone interested in um, sort of putting the pieces together for themselves what would be interested in this book. Um, I, I don't have a it's not a suspect driven book. It's not, uh, you know, an accusatory book against any one particular suspect. It's sort of a presentation of, of what happened. Um, and it, it invites the reader to, to sort of take those pieces and, and put them together themselves. Um, uh, again, you know, I'm not picking out a particular subject. It's not a Ted Bundy book per se, but um, it's up to the reader to, to, to go through it. And you go in detail in all of these cases. So there's two, three, four pages on each case. So we didn't go into the kind of the graphic detail about some of these poor victims, but uh, you can read about it in the book. Where's the best place for people to get the flat tire murders? It's available on, on Amazon. It is uh, available on Barnes and Noble. Uh, dot com and it's also available at uh, my publisher's website mcfarlandbooks.com gotcha and do you have social media or a website uh, people can check out if they want to contact you or anything 
I do. Um, if you want to contact me, it's uh, on Twitter at Flat Murders, F-L-A-T-M-U-R-D-E-R-S. I also have uh, Instagram and uh, Facebook, and I am doing a series on YouTube, uh, sort of short podcasts about these cases. So you can find me on there, the Flat Tire Murders. Flat Tire Murders. And again, the author's name is Michael P. Burns, B-U-R-N-S. And the title of the book, again, is The Flat Tire Murders, Unsolved Crimes of a South Florida Serial Killer. Just published September 30th, 2021. So people can go check that out. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you, William. It's been an All right. honor. All right, cool. Great to be with you. Stay there. Stay there.